Hello everyone. Today I have a very special guest. His name is Bill Flynn. He has collaborated with Alan Milley as pitch Steve Jobs, accomplished much, failed often, and learned many useful lessons for 30 years of studying the science of success. Now, as you guys know, this episode or this podcast is about people with their success habits and going behind the scenes to understand what makes them successful. And today we are very, very fortunate to have Paul on here to share his amazing knowledge with us. I've spent the last two years learning from industry experts and successful business owners, going behind the scenes to discover what makes these entrepreneurs successful. Follow along with season eight of Unleash Your Focus podcast, where I dive in deeper than ever before, unlocking trade secrets, discovering what makes these entrepreneurs successful, but also really understanding their habits, frameworks, blueprints, secrets, and so much more. I also ask one important question, and that is how they have grown and scaled their business to a million or more. I'm excited that you are here, and I can't wait for you to apply these strategies so you can become successful too. Welcome to Unleash Your Focus podcast, the number one place that will help you to start, grow and scale your online business today. Hi, Bill. How are you doing? Hey, Joy. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Looking forward to it. Thank you so much. When I saw your bio, I was like, oh, I need to get this guy on my podcast. He is going to be so valuable to the audience. Can you tell people a little bit about you? Certainly. Uh, So I sort of had two arcs in my career. Uh, my first was startups. I did 10 different startups in high tech over about 25 years. Nice. Um, did pretty well. Uh, I'm either five for seven or five for 10, depending on how you count when I was there, not there and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Either way, a decent track record. You know, most, most startups fail. Um, yeah. So I've, I've definitely helped many people become millionaires. I was generally in sales or the head of sales. So I, I think I contributed directly to a lot of people's wealth. Unfortunately, I was not really one of them. I still have to work for a living, um, but I loved doing them. And then about five years ago, I decided to become a coach. Uh, I had a really interesting experience between start five and six, mm-hmm. and I really became a coach. And I, it was such a wonderful experience. I wanted, I tucked that in the back of my head a little bit. And after four failed startups um, in about six years, I said, you know what? Maybe we should look at something else. So I decided to do this. And I'm so glad I did. Uh, I know it. I now know what a calling is for real. I knew what it was intellectually, but it's such a wonderful thing I get to do every day. You know, um, at the time flies when I'm with my clients. It's such a blast. So I, I'm really. My only regret is that I didn't do it sooner. <laughs> so, so what made you decide to start doing that to get into the coaching? What was your your starting point for that? Yeah. So. Um, uh, so after startup five, my wife and daughter at the time said, hey, do you need to do a sixth right away? Because I mean, they, they consume you, you know, and this was oh, probably yes. over 12 years, 12 or 13 years, I had done the first five. Uh, and, and I was the head of sales and marketing. So it, it, it's, it's also one of the hardest jobs in a startup, um, besides also being in a startup. So I said, no, I said, we had done pretty well. We had been, four, we were, we were, I was f- uh, four for five at that time. Um, and the last one was a disaster and it was really terrible. So it was nice to take a break. So I, I took uh, a bunch of time off. It turned out to be 10 months. And um, but while doing that, I was asked to, uh, you know, my friends knew that I was free and available. So they would call me and say, hey, Bill, I hear you're not working. And would you mind? And, and can you help me with this? And, and, you know, so I did some stuff for free. I, did, I get some stipends. I got some stock. You know, I just sort of did it for fun. And I said, I'll, I'll help you. I said, but I have, I have one rule. I will only work from 10 to 2, Monday through Thursday, because I'm basically off. And if you're okay with that, 
then let's do it. So they were fine. And one of them was a startup that I ended up taking over. Um, this guy, uh, I got introduced to him by a, an old friend of mine that was his sort of part-time CFO. And he mm -hmm. said, you know, this guy really needs a lot of help. Yeah. Can you come in and sort of help him out? And, and I met him and he was a decent guy and, and he was tired. He's like, I'm just tired. He says, I want to sell this thing. He said, can you come in and just make me look as big as possible? Because wow. I want to sell this thing. Yes. So I said, sure. So I, I came in, I put in some sales processes, I hired some people, we did some stuff. Yes. And actually like 10 or 11 months later, he sold the business. Um, not for a huge amount of money, but you know, over $10 million. So I mean, that's he's, decent. He, was set, he was set for life. Yeah. Right. And decent. he owed 90% of the 95% of the company, I think was, was his. So hmm. he's fine. I talk to him every now and again, and he's like in the Philippines now doing volunteer work or something. I don't know what he's doing. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, so I was asked to take over. So he said, I'm out. And then the, the CEO of the company that bought us, which was about a hundred million dollar organization bought us said, you know, you know, why don't you take over? He reluctantly had me take over because he didn't like salespeople, but he's, but I, but I'm not really a sales guy. And, you know, I, I ran the business on a spreadsheet. I mean, I, I ran the business with the numbers and he's like, I like that. So, uh, so I did that. And the, but the first day I took over, which was January 2nd, 2009, mm -hmm. which was the best and the worst day of my professional career. Uh, when I took over, so we had 7,000 customers, give or take. It'd been wow. a business had been around for years yeah. and it was an email hosting company before Gmail was, Gmail wasn't even a thing yet. Wow. Uh, and then uh, neither was Office 365. This was actually the precursor to Office 365. So we were partners, we were Microsoft partners and we sort of hosted, uh, we used their technology and used and, and hosted an outsourced email hosting company, uh, mostly for small and medium businesses. Our, our customers were small, like five or six mailboxes was about this average size. And, but the first day I took over on that day, um, yes. we, the entire technical infra infrastructure collapsed. Oh no. So we basically didn't deliver email for two and a half days. I lost a thousand customers immediately. This is my first day, remember, first day. Wow. Uh, and then I spent the next three or four months trying to save my partners. I had some huge partners. Ingram Micro is a partner of, you know, Ingram Micro is a huge yes. technology yes. distributor. Yes. Um, a company called Endurance, which is the one, the company that bought Constant Contact a couple of years ago. I mean, these were billion dollar companies. And so I and my president of the bigger company had to go around and say, please don't leave us. You know, we're fixing it and that kind of stuff. But I had 60 people working for me. I had thousands of other customers. And so I'm like, what am I going to do? So I basically cobbled together something, uh, which looking back, you know, I made up my own system. I didn't realize there were other business operating systems out there. Yes. I wasn't smart enough to know that yet. But I had come, I had some two or three really good CEOs. I read a ton of books and I said, here's what we're going to do, guys. And I said, we're going to, I said, I, I'm the sales and marketing guy, but we have a technical infrastructure. We have support, right? Because basically your business is really supporting your customers more than anything. Yes. I've never run finance before. I actually don't even like finance. I said, so I don't really know what I'm doing in those areas. So I need your help. I said, but I know where I want us to go. I have an idea of where I'd like mm -hmm. us to go and let's discuss, debate and decide that, right? I want your input on that and make sure I'm on, on the same thing. And then I said, I want each of you, because there were four people, four guys that reported into me, you know, one had, so I ran marketing, another guy ran sales, someone ran the technical infrastructure, um, one ran support, and then I actually ran finance as well. And then we had like the product guy. So I said, I need you, each of you to draw me the map from where we are today to where that point is that we want to get to in the future. Yeah. And then we're going to work together every week and work together and figure out how to get there. So that's what we did. And it was phenomenal. It worked tremendously well. Uh, so cool. We doubled, uh, we doubled the business uh, about three of uh, this. I left in 18 months, but within two years, we doubled the size of the business. I didn't lose one employee. 
Nice. Uh, we we in, we increased the average order size by thirty percent. Um, just the, the numbers were great. We we did I did net promoter wasn't really a thing yet. It was just starting to become a thing. But I said, look, I need us I need our customers to tell us how we're doing because we're a, we're basically a support organization. It's really always service, so we need them to tell us. So I said, every quarter we're going to have them grade us from one to five. So the first time I did it was, of course, the first quarter I took over, which was a disaster. So. The bar was set really low, which was cool. <laughs> so we got a 2.9 out of five, which is a 58% approval rate. That is a horrible approval rate. Yeah. <laughs> when I left, it was 4.6. Nice. 18 months later. So the stats were great, but the best part was two of the guys who worked for me were, they weren't young, but they were inexperienced managers. They hadn't really run bigger teams yeah. before. And they said to me basically the same thing, which was, I just want you to know the thing that you made me do, that roadmap you made me do, I hated it. It was really, really hard, right? But I'm so glad you made me do it because now I know how to do it, right? I taught them how to fish. And I tucked that and I said, I want that again. I want to be able to help people like that again. And that's what I did five years ago. I pulled it out and said, okay, now's the time to make a decision. Do I do 11 startup or do I do this? And so I decided to become a coach. And that's sort of my, it's probably a quarter answer to your nickel question there, but that's sort of how it happened. I love that. That is really, this is a cool story. Now your roadmap that you're talking about, is that what you currently use for your coaching clients too? No, it's, it's actually, the, what I did is a fraction of what I did then is a fraction of what I do now. What I did then was I basically built, if you're familiar with EOS or traction, yes, I basically bit. did that because okay. I know Gino and, and I know I have a whole bunch of friends who are traction um, coaches and stuff. Yeah. I did that. It was, it was just mostly execution. But now I do, I do a much larger framework. It's based upon scaling up, if you're familiar with scaling up. Yeah. Uh, it's not quite scaling up. I, it's probably 60 to 70% scaling up. I'm a certified, I, I'm no longer in the organization, but I got certified as scaling up. Um, and then a bunch of us broke off and did something called 3HAG, which is um, uh, a, a, a better strategy side of scaling up, I think. Okay. Um, so I do that. And I have some of my own stuff. I'm a bit of a neuroscience geek. So I, I shove a lot of neuroscience in what I do because people are, you know, people are crazy and you need to understand how the brain works to really lead well. If you don't, you're at a disadvantage because we're, we're not, we're all a little nuts. You got to really understand that. Um, so, so I sort of weave a little bit of my own stuff in there. Um, but it's mostly, it's, I'm mostly, um, I think they call it collating. Okay. Um, or no, not collating. What's the word? Um, I'm, I'm using other people's stuff. There's a, there's a better word. I can't remember what it is now. Um, Yes, it's like it's like a broker of information type yeah. thing. Yeah, this starts with a C. I can't believe I'm totally blanking on it. I've said this word like a thousand <laughs> times and I can't remember what it is now. Um, so, so obviously, like you've been really good with your business, your coaching business, and you're helping other people to become successful because that's really, you know, what has been your, your biggest struggle with taking this on? So the first two, two years were really hard. Um, yeah. uh, uh, I'm, so I did relatively well. You know, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a one percenter. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, but when I decided to, to start my own company, I had no clients. I really had no background in it whatsoever, other than my sort of experience. But I wasn't a coach. I mean, I did. Mm. I was coaching at the, the, the example I gave you, but yeah. I wasn't using any any techniques. I was just sort of going with gut and intuition. Yes. Yes. Um, so so I had no clients. And wow. so we we qualified for two years for basically poverty level health insurance here in, here in Massachusetts because <laughs> I made wow. my first year I made $30,000 of which 18 of it was unemployment insurance. Wow. So I made $12,000. Wow. 
that which was hard. about a tenth. It's less than a tenth of what I usually make just in salary, forget commission. So it was not good. And my daughter's 21. So she was, when I did five years ago, she was entering college in a year or two. So, was, and I hadn't, I haven't, I didn't have the money for it. So I went through a ton of money and I had to figure out, you know, what I wanted. And I actually turned away a lot of business because I decided I wanted to do this. Everything that I teach, I do myself. So I eat my own dog food and, you know, you have to understand your core customer. You have to understand what they care about, who they are, what yes. they're made of. And if they're not that person, you shouldn't work with them. And I would have people come to me and say, oh, I want, I want you to work with me. I want you to do this. And I'd say, no. And, and you know, behind my breath, I'm like, you're kind of a jerk. I'm not working with you. Uh, I want to work with people that pass the airport test. Have you ever heard of the airport tests? No. Tell me about that. If you get stuck in the airport for like four or five yeah. hours, you would love to be with this person. It would be like, you'd look forward to hanging out with this person for four or five hours. That's the airport test. If you can pass that, then, then they're probably a good client. Because you be, I become friends. I, I'm friends now with my some of my clients. Yes. You know, we talk about our kids, and you know, we we, we give big hugs, and you know, so it's it becomes personal. And so I want them to be, I wouldn't say we're friends, but 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 like that. Yes. Yeah. No, I completely understand. I'm very, I 100% agree with you. And I was once where I had to fire a client because I literally could not work with this person. It was just absolutely horrific. And I've learned my lesson since then. And I, I coach because um, I've got a marketing agency and I help yeah. businesses with their marketing stuff, et cetera. And I've turned it into a coaching business, same as you, like with the coaching stuff. And um, so the biggest thing that I, I like try to drill into their heads is really understand your client because that is the core of your business. Can we dive a little bit into that, Bill? Because you seem yeah, very, very that. clever and familiar with that. So how do you do your client avatar? How, how do you niche down on that? Yes. So I've, I've been studying this for at least 20 years Yes. Um, because as, as a startup, you have to really understand, you have to figure out the problem we're solving. So you have to understand your customer and really, Correct. so I got relatively good. So I, I'm a Steve Blank fan. Uh, I don't like, I don't like his writing. I think he's a horrible writer, but I love listening to him talk and his concepts are great. Uh, I'm also, I'm also a fan of jobs to be done. If you're familiar with jobs to be done. Mm -hmm. uh, and I've actually become friends with Bob Mesta, who he and Clayton Christensen were really one of the first people to do jobs to be done about 30 years ago. So I sort of take those concepts mm -hmm. and, and the general concept for those of you in the audience who don't understand what that is, it's in essence, you have to interrogate your client, your, your potential customer to understand what they really want because they don't know. They'll tell you, but they're almost always wrong. Mm. Um, and then you have to sort of understand what, what progress they're trying to make and, and then who they are. So for me, it's actually on my website, you can see it. And, uh, but the, the essence of it is I need a humble leader who is a lifelong learner and is comfortable constantly challenging the status quo. If they are those three things, I can work with them. If they are only two of those things, I probably can't because I'm a bit of an iconoclast. I come in and I say stuff they're like, oh, I didn't know that, you know, or that's weird. I never heard of that. You know, like people will say, the big thing is, you know, you need to give people feedback. And I say, no, you don't. People hate feedback. It's actually done really badly. And it's not, it's only one of many tools that you have at your disposal. But there are so many people that I know that you must give feedback to your, to your people. And I say, no, you don't. And then, like, what do you mean? I said, well, let me give you an example. I said, let's do this. Let's, um, uh, there's this guy like Jeff Hunter. And he says, you have to set the standard. Mm. And if you set the standard, you never have to give feedback. Because you say, like, so let's say there's, let's say there's a meeting standard, right? We have a meeting standard, which is we do meetings this way, right? Mm -hmm. And there are like six steps to our meeting. That's the standard. And we run the meeting this way. And then the meeting, it didn't go that well. 
And so you as the boss was listening in and you, and you go to the person, you said, how do you think that went? And they'd say, you know, whatever. And if they're not delusional, they're like, well, that was okay. Um, and okay, I said, well, what re really well in that? Um, and what didn't go really well? Yeah. And, and did we meet the standard? I said, you know, and they'd say, what's the standard for the meeting, right? And you have them sort of walk through the steps yeah. of the standard and say, okay, which one of those do you think we should improve on? Okay, let's do that. And they'll say one or two suggestions, terrific. If you think there's something you really need to tell them, then you tell them, but most of the time it's better just let them yeah. drive it. Cause it's so much better when they come up with the idea, they're much more likely to follow through if it's their yeah. idea. Yeah. And then you say, great, and, and, and let's work and let's work together until we get this meeting all the way to the standard. Yes. Now I helped them, I didn't give them any feedback at all. I didn't tell them what to do. I just, but I did the work up front as a leader to say, this is our standard for meetings. This is our standard for feedback. This is our standard for strategy, execution. I mean, you have to do all that work up front, yes. which yes. is what I do for a living. Then you say, great, let's, let's make sure that we meet the standard. And if you do that well, you will rarely have to give anyone feedback ever. That's actually a really clever way to do it though, because then people don't feel like you are pressuring them into something that they're not comfortable in executing. So, yeah, and so, very often yeah. the people help you make the standard. So they're already bought into the standard. That's true. Not always, but you know, you want them to buy in. Yeah. So, yeah. so that's, that's sort of what happens with me is, is I, I, I come at things. So I'm a scientist by like, my brain is scientific. I, I apply the scientific method to it, to anything. And I, I apply it to business. And one of the things that you'll see in my bio is I think there's a, a meaningful gap between what science knows and business does. Yes. We, do, we do business on conventional wisdom all the time. And conventional wisdom is wrong most of the time, but it's acceptable. So how did you decide to work with science? When, how did that come about? With science? Mm. Introducing uh, I, science. So I was a sales guy. And so mm -hmm. when I first started working, um, I was 23 okay. and I just fell into sales. My, my, my uncle was a VC and he just, took me under his wing and said, let me give you a bunch of informational interviews. I wasn't really doing job interviews. He said, just meet a whole bunch of people. And one of the people liked me. And they, I, I went in through the, the second in command in this company. It was like 400 people in this organization. And I came in through the number two guy because he was friends with my uncle. Yes. And then he liked me in like 15 minutes. He sent me to the person who worked to him and he liked me. And then he sent me the person that worked for him. And I got down to like four layers in the first day. And all of a sudden they're like, okay, why don't you come back for an interview? I'm like, okay. <laughs> and I didn't realize it, but I, I got the job and everyone I worked with, so I was like inside sales. I was like a peon. Everyone I worked with hated me because I, cause I didn't come in their way, right? I came in through the top and I didn't even realize it. I finally became friends with, with a guy who became my boss. And he, he told me like two years later, oh yeah, we all hated you. <laughs> like, oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> they hit it really well. Um, but anyway, so um, uh, now I totally lost my train of thought. Um, so I was really bad at sales. Yeah. But I was, I mean, I'm generally personable. I'm pretty mm -hmm. smart. I knew my stuff mm -hmm. and I was really bad at it. And like, why? Everything they say, you know, you must know your product. You must yes. be able to be personable and people must like you. And like, well, I get all those things, but I still <laughs> yeah. suck at this. So, so, I, I, so I asked myself, well, what is the essence of sales? And the essence mm -hmm. of sales is you're helping someone else make a decision. That's okay, that's decision-making. Okay, mm -hmm. what is decision-making? How does a brain, how do people make decisions? And I get into how does a brain make decisions? Yeah. And the brain makes decisions in a very specific way and not the way we're ever taught. So I studied, I, I, so I studied, I said, that's what I'm going to do. And I learned how the brain makes decisions. 
And what I found basically is that when we make a decision as human beings, yeah. the first part of our brain that lights up is the emotional centers. They used to call it the limbic system, but there's argument now that there's really not a system that's a limbic system. It's okay. all over the place, but it's the emotional centers of your brain, mm -hmm. which means that you don't make a decision rationally. You make it emotionally first, yes. and then you make up reasons after the fact. Yes, and that's where the biased remorse can come in, right? Exactly, yeah. yeah. You know, so this is sort of like the MasterCard thing with the priceless, right? <laughs> it's all about yeah. touch, tugging at the heartstrings. Yep. Um, so once I figured that out, I became the number one or number two salesperson everywhere I went. That is it was amazing. Like a superpower. And yeah. I could totally manipulate people if I wanted. I didn't, but it was it was like I could manipulate people easily. Yes. As soon as you figure out what they cared about and then you focused on that, they're like, okay, I'd like to give you my money. And it was it was hilarious. And I How taught all my salespeople that. Yeah. And, and you know, and generally we did generally well um, from that. So that's sort of how I got into science. And that was God, that was, I don't know, I was 25. So I'm, that was 25 years ago. That's, that's a long time ago. Yeah, that is. Yeah. Now, how does that science fit in then with NLP? Is that in cahoots with each other? Is that oh, separate? No. Oh, no, don't ask me about NLP. <laughs> oh, Come no. on, Bill, share the golden nuggets. <laughs> so neuro-linguistic programming is, is, if you type in NLP and pseudoscience, it okay. is all over the place. Okay. So... The two guys that started, so I studied this because I, I thought it was cool. I'm like, oh, this so I studied this 15 <laughs> years ago or whatever. Yeah. And these two guys, they, uh, so they wanted to sell books. They didn't want to understand really how stuff worked. They wanted to sell books. So what they did is they observed in some way, I don't know how they did this, but they observed psychologists and they, and they watched what they did. And they said, oh, they seem to be, you know, they, they thought they saw something. And then they extrapolated yeah. from there. Now, the problem with NLP is some of the stuff that they have is correct. Anchoring, perspective taking, mm -hmm. you know, a bunch of stuff. But a bunch of the other stuff they have is wrong, completely wrong. And, I, and I, I have a bunch of coaching friends that are in NLP. And I said, I said, the problem I have with NLP is you don't know what's right and what is wrong. Mm -hmm. And a lot of what they have, like some of the things, I, I, I went to a two and a half hour presentation of this woman. And some of the stuff she says is the science has been debunked for oh, decades, wow. but they still keep using it, right? Because it works. It sounds, there's something called the expediency bias, right? Which is yes. that if it sounds good, it's probably right. Yes, I've heard that. But often it is wrong. Mm. And NLP is full of that. So I'm a big fan of uh, this group called the Neuro Leadership Institute. And they actually come from it at a scientific perspective. They say, oh, that happened. How did that happen? Where NLP says, oh, I'm going to assume that because it worked here, it's going to work there. And science is not an extrapolative medium. Yes. You have to prove it from a disinterested third party that it can be done again. Mm -hmm. And a lot of NLP cannot be reproduced at all by a third party. Wow. So sorry, but I'm just not a big fan of NLP. Yeah, no, that's cool. I'm glad that you said that because I've always not been a fan either of NLP. And I've had coaches that approach me and say like, oh, come into my coaching program. I will help you with this and this. I'm, I've just never been interested in it. It's just never tickled me, you know, if I can put it like that. It's just not something that I've been keen on. Yeah. And then they're connected to the HeartMath Institute, which is like Scientology. Go on their oh. website. It's bizarre stuff, you know, alien. That is like a whole different level of weird. <laughs> yeah. And they're connected. Uh, really? Is, I didn't know that. Yeah. That's freaky. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how tight the connection is, but there's a lot of HeartMath Institute with NLP. Mm. And that scares me. I, I mean, NLP at least has some some stuff mm. that works. I, I don't believe, I don't think I believe anything 
that the heart math institute talks about and, and you know this is they, they basically say you have three brains right you have this brain you have the heart brain you have the gut brain and no you don't you have one brain that this brain makes all the decisions you have neurons that are around your heart because it, your brain needs information it's called in, in, interoperative information yep. you have extraoperative and interoperative yep. right extraoperative yep. is your eyes your smelling your hearing because yes. your brain is in the dark silence it is, and it, by the way, the last upgrade it had was either between 10 and 50,000 years ago. It is really old. It is working on some old software, which is why it <laughs> fools you all the time. So, you know, they say, oh, that, well, you're, you make decisions with your heart. You do not. You do not have a brain in your heart. You have 40,000 or so neurons that surround your heart, which is really important because, you know, your brain wants to keep your heart going mm -hmm. because if it doesn't go, then you die. Exactly. And that's its job. Its job is to predict the future so you do not die. So it takes information. And what I love is, is I say, well, okay, there's 40,000 or so here, but do you know how many neurons are in your gut? 100 million. Goodness I said, so basically your intestines are driving your decisions. Is that what you're saying, telling me? <laughs> Which is just insane. By that time, they're not, they're not too happy with me and they usually leave the conversation. <laughs> that would be like some weird alien thing coming out, says, you know, yeah. at the end of it. Yeah. Um, anyway. so, Sorry, it, no, this is this is an awesome conversation, Paul. This is like so entertaining. What what do you think has been the biggest thing that drafted your success over the years? Um, so, uh, my my brain is really good at puzzles. Okay. Uh, you know, I can't really take. I mean, I could probably take some credit for it, but I, mean, I think I was just born with this brain. I think part of it was. I think part of it was sports. I think I, I, um, I played hockey from a very young age and, and uh, I still play hockey and, and, and I, can, I, I can often predict with relatively good accuracy what's going to happen before it happens because okay. somehow it, it does this thing with patterns. So yes. in startups, it's all about finding patterns. Uh, and so I think that's really helped me in sales is about patterns. I wasn't really, I'm much more empathetic and compassionate now I wasn't as a young as a young salesperson, okay. but I was I was sincere and earnest in my desire to help people, and they could see that. And I didn't know that was the emotional part, right? They liked me. They knew that I was actually trying to help them, and I didn't want to sell them something just to sell them something. Exactly. So I think that helped me a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so I had this little trick as a sales guy. And this is one of the things that I learned about decision making, and I would do it every time, and it worked wonders. When I did it, and, and if we were right fit, and and I did this thing, I almost never lost, wow. right? Um, often I would find out that I wasn't a good fit, and I would fail. Mm -hmm. But I rarely lost, and it was because I think they understood that I was sincere. So I would, I would go yes. into a sales meeting, and I would say, "Okay, we're going to be here for an hour, an hour and a half." I said, mm -hmm. and, and I would try to find what I call the bully with the juice, right? Who's the bully with the juice in the meeting? The one—it's not always the one with the titles. Sometimes it's someone else, right? They often sit in, in different places. They're often sitting in a place of, of import and, and distribution so mm -hmm. people can see them. So often you could sort of pick them out before you even heard them speak. But once you sort of went around the room, you, you could tell this guy's the one they're all listening to. It's not always one or, or this woman. It's not always a guy. Yeah. Um, so I would make sure that I focused on that person. But yeah. I did it with everyone. And I would ask one question. I said, so it, describe for me the ideal outcome of this meeting. Mm -hmm. What have you gotten from me? that will help you either to make a decision or move your decision process forward. And I went around the room and I wrote everything down. That is such a cool framework to put in place. Yeah, and then I said, so this is what I said, did I miss anything? No, okay, great. And then I completely tailored my pitch yeah. to everything they said. And then at the end, if they, if they missed something that I knew that might be interesting to them, I'll say, you know what, I covered everything. 
but there's one thing that a lot of people like you really like about what we do. And do you yeah. mind if I share that with you? And so they felt acknowledged, right? They felt valued. They felt like I was listening. And at the end of the meeting, I went through the list and I said, okay, you asked me for this. Did I, how did I do? Did I miss anything? And I went through the checklist and it's like, it was magical, totally magical. And so I've applied that to most of what I do um, yes. as a coach, et cetera. So I'd say that was sort of the impetus of, of how I became successful, you know, whatever you want to call successful. Yeah. Well, that's actually very smart because as a coach myself, I always look at patterns like you do patterns and frameworks and, you know, going to see what actually, you know, just see what other people do and how you can implement it in your own business and not necessarily yeah. doing what they do, but just the, the concepts because it really works. Um, so what are you currently offering in your business? So you've got your coaching program, right? So what is your current offering and how do you help your people in your business at the moment? I do, I do three things. So my primary yeah. business is coaching yes. and I work which is with a handful of clients. Mostly of them are in Massachusetts. I do have one that's a complete remote company and they fly me to different parts of the United States once a quarter yeah. and I, I hang out with them for like a day and a half. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, and one of them is in, in Maine. I think I have six clients now. Um, and so I basically teach them this framework. And for the most part, uh, I teach them what I know. And if they try to veer me off track, I almost always yes. say no. Uh, when I first started, when, that was it's one of the struggles I had when I first started, I, I would talk to a lot of my coaches yeah. and a lot of them treat it like a consulting thing. Okay. And so they'd go in and they'd say, oh, what's your problem? And, and they would figure out the problem. And they would say, oh, I can help you solve that problem. But I would start doing that. And yeah. then I would find out later on that they didn't know what their problem was. They were describing a symptom to a problem. Okay. So I stopped asking. Yes. I would just say, what's your biggest growth? What's your biggest barrier to growth? And I would have them describe that to me. Because often when they describe the problem, they actually mm. are telling you the solution. That is true. And I'm, saying, and I'm thinking, well, if you know the solution, why do you have me here? <laughs> yeah. Right? So clearly there's something wrong. So I just stopped asking. And I said, here's my framework. Here's what I do. I would always explain them up front. I, I do go through a three-step sales process. Yeah. And I'm basically going for the no the whole time. But if they get through the whole thing, and my last thing is I spend 90 minutes with them and their team and I walk them through an exercise. And, I, and so they can see my style. I can see how they interact with each other. I can see how really how that leader treats everyone. Yeah. And if he treats them like crap, I'm out. Mm. Like, I can't help you. Mm. You're the genius with the thousand helpers and you're not gonna listen to me. Yes. And all my business is referral. So you're not gonna be happy. You're gonna, you're gonna either fire me or I'm gonna fire you with less than a year. Mm. Said, so I'm not, I'm not, and I probably not brought on as many customers as I brought on. And I think I've had 12 or 13 customers over five years. Um, so that's sort of how I, that's what I teach them. It's, it's three steps. One is that performance is a team sport. Okay. We talk about, it's so scaling up is about people. He has people strategy, execution and cash. And I think mm -hmm. he's right, but he's not completely right. I think yes. it's team first. Mm -hmm. Individuals are fine, but the teams do almost everything. According to Marcus Buckingham, teams do 83% of the work or 80 some odd percent of, that's the, it, of what yeah. happens. That's yeah. a lot. And we don't teach people how to run a good team. It's a mm -hmm. skill to run is to, is to attract, craft, yes. build and grow a team. That is a mm -hmm. skill. If you have mm -hmm. that skill, you are like your gold. Yes. But we don't teach people how to do it. It's like parenting. It's like, you know, you throw them in and say, like, oh, just do that. Um, and some people are good parents and some people aren't. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a way to, it's a we're not all good parents because we had kids. Yeah. Um, so performance is a team sport. Then you must treat your business as a system. And mostly yes. it's around strategy and execution. So I think Burns got it right at strategy and execution, but they're not separate. They are together because you execute your strategy. Yeah. Right. And, and 
I would say that to, to leaders all the, I would ask them that all the time and I would say, what's your biggest problem in barrier to growth? And they almost always gave me an operational problem. We're not hitting our goals. People aren't doing the right things. They're missing deadlines. It's all operational. Yeah. And I said, well, I said, well, that's execution. And I would ask, well, what are they executing on? Mm. And they look at me like, what do you mean? <laughs> I said, no, you're executing on something, right? And, mm. and, and they would say, oh, well, we're executing on the plan. Well, how did you come up with the plan? Mm. And I'm trying to get them to strategy, right? The strategy drives the plan, which drives the execution. Yeah. And I said, so here's what I said. So if it's really the strategy that's really driving the execution, I said, what would happen if I came in on Monday morning at your 10 o'clock uh, sales meeting, uh, 10 o'clock leadership meeting and said, and ask everyone to write down their version of the, the current company strategy. And then had, they would all read it out loud to each other. What do you think would happen? And almost everybody laughs uh, or smiles and like, oh, it'd be all over the place. I said, yeah. I said, so maybe they're executing really well mm. on their version of the strategy. Yes. So you, your job is to get them all literally and figuratively on the same page. Yeah. But then maybe execution, execution still could be a problem. Yeah. Execution is the simplest of all the things I do. It's just three things. It's setting the priorities right that are cohesive, mm -hmm. measuring them mm -hmm. in meaningful ways, and meeting about them. Meetings are actually the things that move your business forward, and we suck at meetings. <laughs> we are horrible at meetings. Uh, uh, in my book, there's a stat that says in the U.S. alone, we waste $37 billion each year in unproductive meetings. $37 billion. That's crazy. That's, many countries don't have make $37 billion and we're just wasting it in the United States. It's crazy. Because people have meetings about meetings about meetings, but they never get oh. to the actual solution in the meeting that the meeting is supposed yeah. to be about. Yeah. And everything that really happens in meeting is not in the meeting. It's like the, it's the passing by in the hall yeah. or like the, it's amazing. Yeah. So, yes. so. Um, so let's see the second one. The last thing is if you really want to grow your company, cash is your primary financial growth metric. It's the only thing that will not lie to you. Profit can lie to you. Revenue will definitely lie to you. Revenue is about vanity. It's about ego. Yes. You know, it shouldn't be the way you drive your business because it, it leads you in the wrong direction and you make bad decisions. Yes. It should be about cash yes. because if you want to grow, you have to pay for it in front of growth and that costs money. You can borrow yes. money, but now you're giving away your company to someone else. Most likely. Yeah. Yeah. So those are three things. Performance is a team sport. Treat your business as a cohesive system and cash is the primary financial growth metric. That's what I teach. That I go is, into a lot more depth, but that's Yes, obviously, yeah. But that's really good because those are three very, very important steps in any business. So yeah, exactly. that's, that's really cool. So you've written a book. Can you tell us a little bit about the book that you've written? Yeah, um, so I'm, I call myself an accidental author. I, I never went, set out to write a book. I didn't want to write a book. Yes. All my, a number of my friends in the coaching world say, well, you have to write a book. I'm like, I don't want to write a book. It's all been said. Yeah. I mean, we've, we're just repeating stuff that's 100 years old, right? We got McGregor, Deming, Drucker, Shine. These guys are 70, 80 years old, right? You know, years ago when these things, management science is 100 years old. And now we've got Collins and Porter and Lencioni and Sinek and Buckingham. And they're all saying the same thing that those guys said. They're just saying it in their way. We're not actually saying anything new. I said, so there's tons of books. But my, my coaching peers and my clients said that, you know what, that's true. But the way you come at it, is different yeah and and i get the best the best compliment i could ever have had uh, from one of my clients who said to me bill is the best value per word of any coach or consultant we have ever hired wow and they were in their powerful 40s. that's powerful i'm like wow and i said i said i said eric can you write that down and i want to put it on my website <laughs> and it's on my website it's like it's like front and center of my testimonial because it's that's like that's what i want i don't I don't want to pontificate. I know I'm on a podcast. Mm -hmm. I'm talking a lot, but I don't want to do that. My job is yeah. to help you figure out your own thing. Yeah. So that was terrific. So, um, 
Uh, so uh, the book is about really applying what I would call the Pareto principle to mm -hmm. business. Mm -hmm. So the 80-20 rule. Then and my subtitle is called the vital few steps that take the guesswork out of growth. And the Pareto principle is a law. It's called the law of the vital few. Okay. Um, so that's what I do. I say, hey, there's a whole bunch of, I mean, you're a coach, you know, there's like a hundred or 200 exercises you can pull from, but man, that's really, that's confusing. Too much. It's it's just like four or five things. These are the big, huge knobs. If you move these knobs, you'll get further faster. Uh, and so that's what my book is about. It's a DIY book. Uh, you don't need me. I tried to write it in such a way that you can do it yourself. And uh, you can go to my website. There are 25 exercises, which again, I tried to write, you know, it's hard because I have the curse of knowledge, right? I tried to write it as if I didn't know anything, like the joy of cooking cookbook, right? You know, do this first and do that first. <laughs> uh, and so you can, you can do that. So it's, it's, it's designed to have you at least get 70, 80% of the way there. And then, then you can use little tiny knobs, right? To get you a little, yeah. to your, you know, closer to hundred percent. So that's what the book is about. It's about those three things I talked about, performance yeah. and system and cash. That's really, really cool. I like that. I'm going yeah. to get my hands on your book. It sounds fantastic. So, yeah. Bo, um, how do you set goals? You see, I've got a big sign, hashtag goals behind me. Now, this this was a joke that got born out of my coaching. And um, so it just became a thing and it became a theme on my podcast. So how do yeah. you set goals? Yeah, so I do it completely differently now than I did before. But um, so I first started, I combined uh, Stephen Covey and um, Hiram Smith, mm -hmm. which eventually became Franklin Covey. When I first started doing it, they weren't Franklin or Franklin Quest or whatever it's called. Okay. Um, and one of those guys, so Stephen Covey is the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. That's oh, like a huge book. And I've got it. Yes. Yeah. I don't think he's alive anymore, but I think his son is still doing it. Um, but I then said, and I was really good at it executing, but then, then I said, well, they have to be cohesive. So mm -hmm. I start with my vision. Mm -hmm. what, do I, what do I want to do? And, and my vision is, is um, manifests itself in my BHAG, which is a 10 to 30 year goal. Mm -hmm. And I want to touch a million lives. That's beautiful. Uh, I'm at 30,000 right now, or so they're 35,000. Um, so I got a long way to go. And that drives me. It's like, how am I going to touch, you know, how am I going to touch those lives? And I'm not going to do a coaching. I'll never get there coaching one client at a time. So, um, so uh, then that drives my three-year goal. And I have you know, sort of financial metrics. So at the end of three years, I want to, I want to make a million dollars. So at the end of 2023, mm -hmm. I want to be on, on at least on track to make a million dollars. That's my sort of financial goal. If I don't make it, that's okay. But that's sort of where I'm headed. Yeah. And I don't want to hire anyone. I, I want to make a million dollars and have one employee. And I totally, and that's, so I said, how would I do that? And I, I know how to do that. I have a, a plan on how I could do that. Yeah. It's hard to execute. And I'm, you know, I got a ways to go. Yes. Uh, and then that drives my one-year goals, mm -hmm. which then I, of course have, I think I have three or four of those. And then yeah. I have quarterly goals. Mm -hmm. And each of them ties up to the next. Mm -hmm. And then I have my to-do list, which mm -hmm. then I say, okay, I have A's and B's. Mm -hmm. A is important and not urgent, and B's are important and urgent. Yeah. And then I, I put a number and I do one, two, three, and I just go through those things. And they all have to tie up. Yeah. They have to make sense to me to tie up. So I, I'm only doing what I believe is the most important and most urgent things first. Mm -hmm. And then I try to shrink that. I try to have very few A's. I don't want important and urgent things. I want to work on important and not urgent things. I think yes. I did that wrong. I think A is important and, and urgent, and B is important and not urgent. So eventually I try to get like one or two A's because I don't want to be doing important and urgent. So my B list is really long. And, and one of them was to write a book. And actually I might write another book, who knows uh, at some point. I, and I didn't write my book. I hired someone, I'm a horrible writer. So I hired somebody to do it. 
and uh, and she did an awesome job. She was tremendous. It's I could never have written that book. She's I wrote about twenty percent of it, but yeah, but she she did a great job. So mm. well, that's how I do my book. And I could show you. I have it all written down. I have it. You know, I, I it's all in my. I have Evernote, and I have it all there. Um, and I I just try to do very few things. I don't do very much during the day. I don't want to be busy. Yeah. Uh, I worked I worked sixty days last year. That's it. Wow, that's impressive. And I made and I made more money than ninety eight percent of of the United States. Nice. That is really awesome. <laughs> yeah. You know, because I'm following what I do. Few things truly matter. What are the few things that really matter? Focus on those. And my my business. So I have quadrupled my annual fee in five years. That's really cool. So I only need three customers to make a really good living, like a really good living, like a one percent living. Yeah. So that's the way to I'm live. Not my own book. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the way to live. That's I mean that's like really the the work life balance that people would talk about. Yeah. You know, because by the people... way, I think work work life balance is a joke. There's no such thing as work life. Balance. Oh, it's across the world. It's exactly the same. People would tell me, "Oh, I've got the work life balance." Hmm. There's life. Yes. And there's life. That's it. There's no there's no parallel between work there's and no life. There's no balance. Right. <laughs> and guess what? Work is part of life. Right, so there's no balance. It's have a really good life and figure out how to balance your personal life, your professional life, your 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 religious life, your whatever. Yes. All of those things are part of life. Yeah, that's what you want to do. It's nothing to do with. I think work life is balance is is poorly named. <laughs> Not on the same level. I agree. I hundred percent agree with you. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so I want to live a really good life, and that's what I'm trying to do. Well, that's what it, you only have one, so make it count. Right, exactly. I'm only here for what another thirty years, and I'm going to take full advantage. Yeah, just make it count, exactly. So this podcast bill is for people that they're either not just for them, but it's a big chunk of the audience of people that they get inspired by the episodes, and it is about also inspiring them to start a business or potentially just grow their business when they're stuck. And um, so a lot of people are stuck in the businesses or they just haven't really taken the step to start a business. What advice would you have for somebody that is in that situation? So somebody who wants to start a business? Yes. So they're just sitting on the fence. They're not really yeah. sure if they should do this. Oh, yeah. Same thing. Solve a problem worth solving. That's the first thing you have to do. And then solve it in a way that people will pay you enough money to make a real business out of it, whether yeah. it's a lifestyle business or, or a growth business. Mm-hmm. And this is this is Steve Blank, right? It's it's this. I love this guy. This guy Ash Moria, who is kind of a Steve Blank parallel guy. He's written Lean, a lot of the Lean books. Okay. Um, not Eric Reese, who wrote Lean Startup, but he's he's got he's got a bunch of Lean books. For, um, and he says life is too short to build something nobody wants. I mean, to so really figure it out. And I say to founders all the time, I said, do not fall in love with your idea. It is mm-hmm. almost always wrong. And it's not what you end up doing. But if you fall in love with it, you'll fall in love with it. You'll focus on trying to make it happen. You should focus on the problem. Fall in love with the problem, and you'll have a much better chance of creating a business that works. Now, you don't. It's not guaranteed. It still may be a bad problem, but you'll get there faster, and then you'll pivot to something else. And then it also should tie with something that you love. If you do something where you can make money, but you hate it every day, what a horrible way to live, right? So you should love what you do, or at least most of it. Um, and days will fly by. And guess what? If you're solving a problem with solving, it, it'll grow on its own mm-hmm. because you're going to be really good at it and be productive. People are going to, again, back to that emotion. They're going to see the excitement in you and the passion in you. And they're like, oh, you know, they won't even know it, but they're like, yeah, I want to, I want to give you my money. I want to help you be successful. 
Um, so that's what you got to do. And the, and the only other thing I say is do not run out of money. You only need to do two things, solve a problem or solving, solve in a way that happens and do not run out of money. Everything else, core values, core purpose, all these wonderful things we talk about, ignore them at the beginning. They're just gonna happen naturally. Now, once you get through that knot hole, then go back and revisit and make sure you don't lose your culture. You yes. don't lose your identity because growth for growth's sake is the ideology of a cancer cell. I didn't say that, I wish I did. It's such a great saying. It's right? a and really good quote. often kill their host. Mm-hmm. And most businesses die. Mm. You only so in the United States, you only have a 50-50% chance of making it five years. 50-50. Look at the stats. The stats in wow. the Bureau of Labor Statistics and the Small Business Administration have the same stats. And it gets worse. You have a 20, you have a 16% of la- chance of lasting 25 years. So it just keeps going down. And by the way, those are the ones that die. Yeah. So that's that's easy because you're either dead or you're not. But then there's a whole bunch of people, a slew of people that aren't dead that are struggling mightily. Very few companies thrive. Like mm. probably, I don't even know what the number is because it's hard to know, but I would probably say less than 10% of all companies are thriving. Are Southwest Airlines or a red balloon, right? In, uh, in, in Australia. And I don't know any, I don't know any New Zealand company, sorry. Um, <laughs> you know, Apple, Ikea, you know, yes. these companies that are just thriving businesses, very, there are very, very few of them. But there doesn't need to be. That's that's the reason I started doing what I, was, what I was doing is because I think it's a shame. Really good ideas, really good businesses, and really good people fail or struggle for completely preventable reasons. They are completely preventable, but we don't take enough time to figure it out. We're too busy going. We're too busy doing. Yes. And then we all of a sudden we stick our head up and like, uh oh, <laughs> or COVID happens, or 2008 happens, or 9/11 happens, and we're out of business because guess what? We don't have any money left because yeah. we grew. We grew wide instead of deep. Yes. Yeah. It's great. So that's what I'm trying, that's my goal. That's my million. I want to try to touch a million people and say, I call myself a pragmatic Simon Sinek because I'm an optimist, but I'm also an operator. And I love Simon Sinek, but he doesn't really tell you what to do. He inspires you. He's like, oh, you have to start with your why. And I'm like, yeah, but well, how do you get to your why? It's like, so I talk people through. It's actually not about your why, it's about your when, I think. You have to think back when I started this company, what was going on in my life? What, 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 what drove me to want to do this. And it's usually a struggle you had or a really close person to you had. Mm-hmm. And you would think, hey, I think I could do that better. Yes. That usually gets you to your why is, is when you think when, more often than when you try to think why. Mm. So I think I'm better than Simon on that one, but he's got a little more, he's got a little more cachet than I do. <laughs> now, have you heard, Dean, do you know Dean Graziosi? You should. He's, I know the name. I don't know yeah. much about. So he's. I've got one of his books there. So he he wrote the book Millionaire Success Habits. So he's he's like a. I think he's a billionaire, if not close to being a billionaire. And um, so he's he's doing this exercise, or he's done it in the past, and he's got like videos on it, and it's actually in his book, um, and it's called Seven Levels Deep. And what that basically is is you ask yourself with somebody seven times, why do you do this? So if you're saying, yeah. well, well to- why have to- you? Yes. Yeah, so have you heard of that? And does that work? Because yeah. I've done that and it worked for me, but yeah. it doesn't so work did. for everybody. I love this. So so he didn't come up with that. Yeah, no, this he didn't. Toyota. He didn't. This is Toyota. This is what Toyota has been doing for a hundred years. It's yeah. called the five Y. They call it the five Ys. Yeah. Right. He just decided to make it seven, you know, and, you know, and you got the six, the six levels of strategy and the seven levers of this. It's like, it's all the same. They're just putting their own spin on it. But yeah. yes, what you want to get, you, you, it doesn't matter how many times you do it. You just want to get to the essence of when you can't come up with an answer anymore. Yeah. And and you've and you've 
either saved the world or just before you're saving the world, that's probably your why, right? Because I mean, if you're making ice cream, you're probably not saving the world. So it's probably the thing in front of the saving the world that is your why. Yeah. And that's what you want to do. Yeah. And, and that's awesome. So that's what I, I do with folks. And you don't have to say why. You can also say why is that important? Is how is that relevant? You can do different versions of it. Yes. And you're just getting people to to get underneath. So I completely agree with this concept. But his method is is old. Yeah. Yeah. And this is the thing because um, people do evolve evolve in some ways. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. But that's it's a hard exercise to do because you're not really pressed often to try to come up with that and it and is. Sometimes I, have clients, I took one, one client of mine, it took them nine months to get to their core purpose, which is really the why. Yeah. Right. And, and so begin with why I call it core purpose. I know that Simon Sinek calls it, you know, with your why he has the why that's the beginning and the just cause with this, which is the end. Yeah. Right. The just cause. So in the United States, our just cause is a more perfect union. Right. That's what we're trying to do. We'll never get there. Mm-hmm. And, and by the way, recently we've gone backwards tremendously, um, but you know, hopefully we're taking some steps forward, getting back towards heading there. That's your just cause, right? And that's why I like those bookends that he has, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but your why is why did I start? Um, what, what drove me? Mm-hmm. You know, what, was the, what was the thing inside of me? It had nothing to do with money. It has to do with, with, we love purpose. Our brain loves purpose. If you can give our brain purpose, it will do imag- unimaginable things, wonderful feats. Yeah. Uh, without you ever asking the human being to do it, because it's like, I want to do this. I want to help you. I'm, I'm in. I believe what you believe. I want to make it happen. So yes, I completely agree in the concept. From a neuroscience perspective, it is dead on. So, so we, we as human beings, I've learned, have two competing things going on. Mm-hmm. Is that we want to be part of something bigger than, the, than ourselves, mm-hmm. but we also want to think we are unique, which are completely the against clash. each other. Yeah. But if you can make that happen, then you have solved the problem. So who's done that apple has done that right because apple people thought they were unique but they were in a group Hmm. people with tattoos emo i mean pick your pick your like unique thing that's why they work that's why they're so passionate about what they do Hmm. because they've been able to to resolve this conflict between being part of something bigger than yourself but also Mm -hmm. feeling like you're unique if you can do that and give that to people it's magical just totally magical I love that. Bo, this has been fantastic. I really appreciate your time. You have shared so many golden nuggets with the audience. And I can't even wait to re-listen to some of those golden nuggets because they've just been so fantastic. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. We will drop the links below to Bill's book and also to, you know, everything Bill related. So you guys can go and check him out if you feel like you can use these services. Bill, this has been fantastic. Thank you so very much for your time. Thank you, Joy. Appreciate being on. Appreciate Appreciate you having me. Cheers.